your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue, blue. This, this is the pod, the pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. How quickly have the mighty fallen? This is EJ Stewart. You're listening to the Orange and Blue Bloods podcast. I'll be flying solo on this episode. Tommy's not here with us, but we do have a lot to get to when it comes to Knicks basketball. We will be talking about the Knicks loss on Christmas Day. I was actually in the building for that catastrophe that happened in the second half between the Knicks and Sixers, especially that fourth quarter. So we'll discuss that. We'll also talk about this big Texas swing that the Knicks are going on and out. They'll be doing the old Texas triangle. They start with the Dallas Mavericks Tuesday night. We'll preview that matchup as well. And some trade rumors regarding a player that the Knicks actually saw on Christmas Day. One of the players they played against on the Sixers apparently is uh, drawn interest from the New York Knicks. So a lot to get to on this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. Of course, you can get these episodes on any podcast service you listen to, including the free Odyssey app. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button and also hit the auto download feature so you can get these episodes whenever we drop. So let's begin this episode again talking about Christmas Day. So um the Knicks have now lost three straight after losing to the Sixers on Christmas at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks have had uh they had an early 14 point lead in that game and it let us slip away. Joel Embiid 35 points in the win for the Sixers. James Harden added 29 points and 13 assists. Both guys were magnificent, particularly Harden in the second half. Uh, the Knicks were pulverized by the three-point shot, uh, which is a, a a recipe for disaster for this team. We, this is not the first time we've talked about the Knicks' inability to defend the three. We haven't talked about it as much since the rotation changed, but we saw the Sixers have a lot of success shooting the three ball. They hit 18 threes in that game. They shot 18 for 39 from three. If you have a team shooting at that high of volume, uh, scoring on that high a level, you're usually going to end up with an L. So the Knicks lose on Christmas Day. Uh, they did have a, a huge first half from Julius Randle, who was unguardable for that first half. Um, I think he ended with tw- uh, 27 in the first half. He finished with 35. Jalen Brunson added uh, 23 points in the game. R.J. Barrett uh, struggled in this one offensively. He added 17 points, uh, but he shot 6 for 21 in that game. He did have uh, a 10 rebounds. Mitchell Robinson, though, um, shout out to him. He tried his best on Jewel Embiid. I thought for the first half did a good job. Um, he ended with 16 rebounds in the game to go along with 10 points and three blocks. So he certainly did his job. But again, not enough for the Knicks on Christmas Day. And when I think about this game, one, a lot of people have said it, and I'm probably the last one to say at this point, but I will point out that um, the refereeing in, in this game was was not good. And I, I don't want to sit here and make excuses for the fact that the Knicks lost because of the refereeing because the Knicks didn't play well enough to win in the second half. I mean, there we'll get to the issues they had, but it, it is, it is unbearable to watch James Harden and watch Joel Embiid, you know, flop around, throw themselves on the floor, get these calls that I really didn't even have much of a problem with. Like, I think most of the foul calls that the Knicks were called on while guarding Harden and James were fouls. My issue remains when I watch Knicks basketball this season is Julius Randle is an extremely physical player. He makes very aggressive moves. He plays through a lot of contact. 
And it's like he, he kind of reminds me of Carmelo Anthony in the sense that because he doesn't flop, because he doesn't play to the whistle, the referees see intense contact and don't give him foul calls. Um, I think Jalen Brunson, to some degree, gets that same treatment. Not as bad because Brunson does a much better job of trying to draw fouls and, and making the ref see that he's getting fouled. But the end of the first half, Brunson uh, makes a, a play, he dribbles. I mean, Harden just runs right into him. And because Brunson didn't throw himself on the floor, it's not called a foul, which is which was absurd to begin with. And then it leads to that uh, Shake Milton um, miracle, Christmas miracle <laughs> three-pointer from half court. So my thing is, if you're going to have a game where you're going to call it tight, which that game was called very tight, just be consistent. Um, there were some bad calls. You know, Mitch Robinson had a clean block on Harden that they they called a, a foul. One of the worst, literally one of the worst <laughs> foul calls I think I've seen uh, all year. But if you're going to, you know, if you're going to call it, if you're going to call it tight, call it consistently. And it just is frustrating to see P.J. Tucker play basketball like he's playing middle linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles and he's you know Randall was was giving him a lot of problems in that first half and second half he made the right move to become more physical with Randall and he did it with no consequences because the refs just did not call any fouls I mean he's bumping Randall coming up the court he's bumping Randall on every catch on every bounce he's hand checking him and they're just not calling it and again I grew up in the 90s. I love the Knicks of the late 90s, early 2000s. I am all for physical basketball. But I don't want to hear about you're allowing P.J. Tucker to play middle linebacker, and then if Harden gets touched or Embiid gets touched on the on the wrist or on, on the hip, you're sending them to the line. Like, that, that was some really bad officiating. I think that because these players are becoming bigger, stronger, faster, we've seen NBA officiating deteriorate for the past five years, I would say. And um, and it was frustrating to to see that happen uh, at MSG with the Knicks uh, getting such poor whistle. With that being said, there are two main takeaways for me that um, are really frustrating with this loss. Because I feel like a lot of this loss does lie at the feet of Tom Thibodeau. And it's not necessarily anything he even did in that game per se, but it's kind of how he's coached his team and the Knicks' inability to adjust what other teams are doing to them. So let's begin with the offense. The Knicks were on a tear offensively. It was really that first half, especially that first quarter. Um, they looked like the Knicks that were on that eight-game win streak. I mean, they they, they were dominant. Um, they were hitting their shots, which, you know, when shots go in, your offense looks good. But their offense looked, legitimately did look good. And part of that was, of course, because they were hitting shots. But they were hitting shots. They were moving the ball well. Um, I thought Randall did a really great job of, of, of attacking on catches, which I don't think he does enough. And sometimes maybe that's because in the past, I think in his first year in New York, he moved too fast. And oftentimes you saw him dribbling right into double teams, right into traps, um, spinning his way into, you know, charges and double teams. You know, I don't know how many times you saw that in year one. So I feel like he made an adjustment from that year on to try to, you know, be a little more methodical with his attacks, which it's been a hit or miss. I think in year two, we saw he was great, and you now year three, when they started to really load up, he didn't seem to be able to make the right reads. Um, this year, I think he's been a lot better, and and I thought that 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 game on Christmas, he was a lot better at getting the ball and just going. You know, he was playing against a defender who wasn't as quick-footed as he was in P.J. Tucker, and being able to attack on rotations because the Knicks were able to get Joe penetration, whether it was R.J., whether it was um, uh, Brunson, whether it was even Quentin Grimes, um, 
Randall was getting the ball on, you know, uh, undisciplined closeouts from Tucker, and he was able to take advantage of him. And I would love to see Randall do that more over the course of the season. So the Knicks offense clicking on all cylinders. Randall has his best performance in the first half of the season, arguably. And he looks like he may be off to a 40, maybe even 50-point burger. And then what happens all the time when the Knicks get into any rhythm happened on Sunday. Sixers go zone. And for whatever reason, the Knicks offense just disappears. They are unable to figure out the zone. They're unable to figure out uh, how to get open shots. And the Sixers, who, who started to get into a rhythm offensively, and we'll talk about the Knicks defense in a second, were able to slowly kind of pick their way back into the game and then take the lead for good in the fourth quarter. We are now in the third season with Tom Thibodeau. And now three seasons in a row, I've watched other teams say, okay, if the Knicks get into any kind of rhythm, let's just go to a zone. And particularly the last two seasons, and, and, and even it seems even more particularly this season, it has become a major problem where the Knicks don't appear to have a zone offense capable of making teams pay when they go to zone. And what's frustrating for me as a Nick fan and a Nick observer is you, when you, whenever you see, you know, the book get out on a team, you're supposed to be able to make adjustments to try to combat that. Like, it doesn't matter if the team is used to playing zone. They, they're not used to playing zone. It doesn't like, it doesn't even matter if that's part of their philosophy to play zone. When they see the Knicks, it doesn't matter. You throw your philosophy, defensive philosophy out the window. If your plan A doesn't work, every team goes to zone. And a lot of the time it works out. Sometimes in an eight-game winning streak, the Knicks were able to kind of, you know, hold teams off. But a lot of the times uh, going to zone against the Knicks is extremely successful. And it's ridiculous to me that we're now three years into the Thibodeau tenure and they can't seem to run effective zone offense. And it's even more peculiar because you would think when you look at the Knicks personnel that they have players who would be monsters potentially in the high post against the zone. The number one option, Julius Randle, you would think would be really good in, in, in playing against uh, a zone if you put him in the mid post because Julius Randle has a good mid range game. Julius Randle can make passes out of the mid post. Julius Randle is also great at attacking the rim. Um, and he would arguably be able to attack the room without being even guarded if he gets the ball in the right spots on the high post right at the foul line. So that's one play you think you should be able to take advantage of the zone with they haven't been able to. RJ Barrett, similar skill set to Julius Randle, maybe not as good a mid-range shooter, but can attack the rim. Now he's getting, a, a, a you know, a, the base, basically a center sitting at the rim who can't force him right so he can get to his left hand from the mid-post. Um, RJ can make passes from the mid-post. Uh, he's a good ball handler. so. He would seem like a great fit to run through the mid post during his own, and they haven't been able to take advantage of that. And there's even a third guy who's now been added to the Knicks roster since last season who also isn't being used effectively when the teams go zone. And that's Isaiah Hardenstein. Isaiah Hardenstein's best skill set, which has not been used effectively by the Knicks, is his ability to pass, particularly passing from the high post. And when teams play zone defenses, if you're able to get the ball in the middle, which the Knicks have pretty much been able to do for the most part, you should be able to. It, it's it's a death nail to his own defense because that guy can either score um, on a high percentage shot or he should be able to spray it out to shooters or he should be able to drive and maybe hit cutters coming from the corner. The Knicks don't get any of this. They don't get any of this action happening 
um, when they teams play zone. Uh, they don't get great penetration. They don't, uh, and they don't take advantage when they're able to get the ball in the middle and and cause damage. And the Sixers went zone. The Knicks just did what they always do, or what they do most of the time when teams go zone. They didn't really seem to have much of a plan, and um, and, and it, it forced our offense to just completely uh, go to a standstill. They only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter for a long stretch of that fourth quarter. They only had six points. It was it was ridiculous. And to watch it uh, up close and personal at the Garden was was terrible. So. Zone offense, awful, continues to be a problem. And the fact that they have not solved that issue is highly alarming considering we're now year three in the Thibodeau's tenure. And he's the guy that's supposed to uh, formulate a zone offense that should be able to take advantage of, of teams going to zone. Like when teams go to zone, like that's to be that most time in the NBA, that is like your last ditch effort. That is your, okay, we've tried everything and we can't stop them. So let's hope that we can just, Get him into his own, force him to shoot 30 footers, and let's hope they miss. And the fact that teams now use the zone effectively as a legit strategy, it's not a last ditch resort. It's a if they get hot, we'll go to zone, and that we know we can get ourselves back into a game because it's going to take them a whole quarter or a whole half to figure out. They may never figure it out in the game. And um, that was another loss the Knicks had on Sunday where the zone offense continued to kill them. And then let's talk about the defense. So Three-point shooting continued to be a problem in terms of guarding the three in this one. Again, the Sixers made 18 of 39 from three. The Knicks were particularly killed by George's Niang, who hit four three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Him and Harden were absolutely cooking in their pick-and-pop two-man game. Knicks did not have an answer. And George Niang spoke after the game about his confusion as to why the Knicks were guarding him the way they were. I mean, I don't know why they were playing in a drop coverage i probably haven't seen that since you know college maybe but um you know they were putting two on james and uh, that's kind of where me and james have that two-man game that really you know flourishes um and james found me james does a incredible job of hitting me on the hands and you know making those passes and I, my job is to shoot the ball and i wasn't gonna stop doing that so george the there saying that he was extremely confused why the Knicks were covering him in drop coverage. So let's first, for those at home who may not know what drop coverage is, let's give a brief <laughs> explainer. So drop coverage is essentially when you're playing pick and roll coverage, the on-ball defender um, essentially tries to go over the screen and the player guarding the screener drops about five feet away from the ball handler to basically keep him from getting to the basket until the uh, the on-ball defender who was guarding the screen, the guy who's you know dribbling the ball handler, is able to get back in front. Um, it is a strategy that you'll see a lot of teams use who have shot blockers. So, like, if you watch, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves or Utah Jazz in previous seasons, like, uh, you know, someone like Rudy Gobert was such a monster in drop coverage for all, most of the time, though we saw in the playoffs teams were able to exploit him. But typically he's a great drop coverage type of player because he's so, so large. And you don't want to necessarily switch him onto smaller guards because he's not good on the perimeter. But his ability to cover a lot of space without being that close and to protect the rim uh, makes it very difficult for the, the the ball handler on that pick and roll to really uh, find a good read. So um, it, it, it works in that instance. But it, it, drop coverage can be killed by guys who can pick and pop and and kill you from three. And George Niang is that kind of shooter. Um that is what he's there for. He is a he he is a three point shooter. He's a pick and pop guy. So 
with a player like that and someone as dangerous as Harden as a passer, drop coverage probably isn't the best coverage for a player like that. Uh, so he was very confused because he probably, you know, he probably plays in the NBA, obviously, and plays against all the 29 teams. And other teams know George Niang can shoot. So they're like, we're not going to cover him like that. And the Knicks did not make any adjustment. And I tweeted when I saw that commentary, you know, people were like, he's taking shots at Tibbs. Um, he's taking shots at Knicks coverage. I mean, I had no problem with the commentary because he's right. Like it's 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 ridiculous that the Knicks guarded him and dropped coverage so often. They didn't adjust at any point in that time. But Tom Thibodeau is like almost a drop coverage exclusive coach. Like that is all he coaches. Um, he coaches ice coverage. He coaches drop coverage on pick and roll. That is what he believes, and he believes in protecting him first, regardless of a really who's on the floor. And it's like because Niang didn't kill them in the first half, he kind of thought, well, we can still play this drop coverage and it worked. And then they got burned. And that's kind of one of my issues with, with Thibodeau. It continues to be my issues with him is his inability to adjust or his slow adjustments. Um, he doesn't, I, I always say, he doesn't coach the game that's being played. He coaches the game that he prepared for. And to me, he prepared his team to guard these guys a certain way. And regardless of how the actual game was going, they didn't make any adjustments. So I don't know, after George Niang hits two threes um, against that drop pick and roll coverage, you would think that maybe they would switch it. Uh, and start switching those screens or do something else defensively just to mix it up. And they did nothing. So Niang was one of the big reasons why the Knicks uh, got killed in that fourth quarter. So the Knicks uh, drop uh, three straight. They now are 18 and 16 on the season. And um, a lot of the optimism that was around the team during an eight game winning streak, it's not completely evaporated. I don't think they've even dropped a spot in the standings yet, but, um, but now you kind of say, okay, you know, now we're back to kind of reality and, now we got some big games coming up uh, this week. So, um, so Knicks lose, Sixers uh, go to eight straight wins. So now they're the new hot team in the NBA, along with the Brooklyn Nets, who are also playing uh, great basketball. So now it's uh, up to the Knicks to see what they can do now in Texas. So let's uh, let's take things out there. So now uh, the Knicks will look to get back on track in the Lone Star State. The team will begin the old Texas Triangle tonight with the Dallas Mavericks. When you think about the old Texas triangle, you always, you think about the first thing you think about is Bernard King scoring those 40 point games. Um, uh, he had 50 point games in there when he went through Texas and, and, and lit up the Mavs uh, Rockets and the Spurs. Uh, this is the Knicks now doing that um, this way. I don't know if we'll have a guy scoring 50 in those games, but, but the Knicks will be doing the old Texas triangle starting with the Dallas Mavericks Tuesday night. The Mavs blasted the Knicks by 21 points earlier this month. It was a game that actually sparked the Knicks' eight-game winning streak and forced Tom Thibodeau to make pretty big changes to the rotation that included taking Cam Reddish and, and Derek Rose out, inserting Deuce McBride, and shortening the rotation to nine men. So interesting to see how the Knicks have changed since they played Dallas last uh, earlier this month. Now, Jalen Brunson, who we didn't talk about in the first segment, Brunson injured his hip in the last game. So he is questionable for the return game to Dallas for him. He, of course, left the Mavericks in free agency. We talked last week about how the Knicks got a uh, tampering charge and they they were forced to lose a second-round pick in 2025. Boo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> you know, I shed one tear, I guess, for losing a top 25 uh, – uh, 2025 second round pick 
But um, that was the price for Jalen Brunson. So this was supposed to be his return game to Dallas. That may not happen for him. We'll see if he goes on the Dallas front. They're actually pretty banged up. They are on a three-game win streak. But uh, Frank Nilekina, Nick fans know and love, um, he's questionable. Uh, so is Kemba Walker, another guy Nick fans are familiar with. Both guys are questionable. Kemba had played logged some big minutes a couple uh, games ago, and 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 he hasn't really recovered great since then, which, again, Nick fans know all too well. So uh, he didn't play the last game. He's questionable for this game. In terms of people who will be out for the game Tuesday night, Dorian Finney-Smith won't play. Maxie Kleber and Josh Green also remain out for Dallas. So, um, like I said before, this is an interesting matchup because of just what happened last time these two teams played. The Knicks got absolutely drilled by the Mavericks. And I know I said it was a 21-point loss, but it was it, – to me, the game wasn't that close. I mean, the Knicks were down almost by 40 points. They might have actually been down by 40 points at parts of that game. It was a game that I thought would lead to the firing of Tom Thibodeau. That did not happen, and the Knicks turned it around that next night. They played the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Donovan Mitchell came in and a lot of hoopla about how that would go. And the Knicks uh, had one of their grittier wins of the season and it sparked uh, this big winning streak. And, and now here we are. Now the Knicks have lost three straight. And now they face a Dallas team that's hot. Dallas beat uh, the Lakers on Christmas Day in a game that was pretty ho-hum. They, they pretty much dominated the Lakers for much of that game. Anthony Davis did not play. Uh, Dallas had a very balanced attack in that one. Um, they had two three guys score more than 25 points uh, Luka Doncic the all world uh all everything star for the Mavericks scored 32 uh nine assists nine rebounds in that game Christian Wood 30 in the game this first one of the first times starting that's a, a recent adjustment Dallas has made of course they've kind of had no choice given some of the injuries but uh Christian Wood has not started much this season he started this one and he had a, a big game for them he had eight uh eight rebounds and seven assists to go along with those 30 points and a guy who killed the Knicks last time, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, 26 points. And he was big in that in that win they had earlier this month as well. So should be an interesting matchup. I think from the Knicks front, I, I think it will be interesting in terms of matchups to watch. It's going to be that Randall, uh, that Randall Wood matchup potentially uh, because Randall typically mauls the Dallas Mavericks, especially when the Knicks travel to Dallas. That is his hometown. He gets up for that game, and one of the more consistent things about Randall is almost regardless of who, how well he's playing in a particular season, uh, he's going to play well against Dallas. It was actually surprising that he didn't play well the last game and how poorly Knicks played overall as a team. Knicks typically own Dallas, except for that last game. So now that you don't have Dorian Finney-Smith, who's an excellent defender, Massey Cleaver, who's an excellent defender, those guys out, you think that Randall should have his way. He's going to get uh, – plenty of Christian Wood. Uh, he's going to get some uh, Davies Bertans guarding him. Powell, I'm sure, will get a look on him. I wouldn't be surprised if even Bullock gets some some time against him. The, the Dallas don't play very big. I mean, Wood played essentially center in that game against the Lakers. Uh, Bertans and Powell came off the bench. Those are two bigs. Uh, but otherwise, you had you know Hardaway and, and Bullock playing a lot of four. So that will be an interesting thing to watch. Like, like how do the Knicks adjust to – Dallas when they do go small and and how will Dallas kind of guard Randall who is on a tear I mean he's I mean now I know he didn't finish that game well but if you look at kind of how he's played of late he he's now putting together like a good month of basketball like a really good month of basketball I mean you look at his season totals now he's averaging 23 points and nine rebounds 
and he's shooting a, a pretty good percentage on those numbers. He's shooting 46% from the field, 33% from three, not great, but not terrible. Uh, all-star numbers for Julius Randle. So when you look at this matchup, how the, the, the Mavericks will be able to defend Randle, given how small they've been playing, I think will be interesting. I expect the Mavericks to play a ton of zone. <laughs> the Mavericks are a team that actually do they do play zone. Like that's not like something that's like uh, not part of their strategy. Jason Kidd will throw in zone here and there. So uh, and you know they just when they watch the tape of the Knicks, they of course watch the last game. So um, they may not start in zone, but if they went to zone in the first quarter, that wouldn't surprise me. I think that you'll see them play plenty of zone to try to mitigate maybe some of those uh, individual matchup problems they could have of playing just a smaller starting lineup. They'll be, they, they could be changes to the starting lineup given how the Knicks play. You know, we'll see as well because the Lakers weren't necessarily that big in the last game either. So um, Dallas was allowed to play small. But Dallas is a team that's also comfortable playing small. Uh, they love to have as many shooters as they can on the floor so that um, Luka can just get into the paint and just spray it out to all these shooters. And essentially that's what we saw in that last blowout that the Dallas, Dallas Mavericks had over the Knicks. So will the Knicks be able to – uh, guard the three much better in this game will be crucial. Dallas had 18 threes against the Lakers, um, and that was a big, uh, big part of their victory against the Lakers. They had, they had a 51-point third quarter, which is insane. They beat, the, they beat the Lakers by 30 points in the third quarter. I didn't even know that. I'm looking at this box score now. That is nuts. Um, so, you know, Dallas, as we, the Lakers saw, the Knicks saw, you know, they can really, when they get hot, particularly from three, it could be an avalanche. So the Knicks are going to have to cover the three much better. They have a, you know, a, a different lineup than the players they were playing the last time Dallas Mavericks uh, played the Knicks. So you would think they should be, you know, better equipped to guard them. But the Knicks did have trouble against uh, Niang and Harden and, and the, the Sixers shooters. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention, but I thought DeAnthony Melton had a really great game too. He continues to play really well for the Sixers. So that's going to be a, a big key here. And, um, and of course, you know, what happens with Brunson? You know, Brunson is uh, questionable when they asked Tibbs about it after the game. He didn't really have much to say about it other than he was being evaluated for a sore hip, and that, that was it. So we know how important Brunson is to the squad. Uh, he is the the leader, the captain. He is the guy that kind of stirs the drink when it comes to the Knicks offense. So uh, particularly if they the Mavs do go in zone, they want any chance uh, in terms of being able to execute offense consistently. You'd want to have Jalen Brunson out here. So uh, should be an interesting game. I expect the Knicks to play well. That's the weird thing about this losing streak is that I don't feel like the Knicks have played particularly poorly overall in any of these games. They've had bad parts of these games, but I, I thought they played pretty well in Toronto given it was a back-to-back and they were shorthanded. They lost a close game. I thought they played particularly well against Chicago and they didn't make free throws. <laughs> And throws and it's a shot that wins hits them that beats them, you know, essentially at the buzzer. And I, for three quarters, I thought they played great against the Sixers. The Sixers are a really good team. The Sixers are my pick to come out of the Eastern Conference, and they're starting to look more like that caliber team recently. And the Knicks dominated them in the first quarter. I thought the Knicks played them essentially to a standstill in the second and third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, Avalanche hit. So the Knicks have played particularly well. That does maybe concern me that a letdown, like a real true letdown is possible, like a game where, you know, they just don't come out to play and then they lose by 15 points. But I don't know. It just feels like the Knicks, uh, they kind of have the right mix of players playing at this point. And I think that some of the desperation you we saw from teams like Toronto 
and Chicago when the Knicks played those teams, I think you'll see the Knicks play with that kind of desperation in Dallas because the Knicks know now they, they have to start getting back on this winning track. They had a nice little cushion in the standings when they um when they uh when they went on that eight game winning streak, they got to that sixth spot. But you know, anybody who who's followed the NBA recently knows that like, the difference between six and, and ten is not that different in the NBA nowadays. And difference from being in that sixth spot and being in the playoffs and being in the seventh spot or eighth spot and being in the play in also a big difference. So the Knicks still in position with that sixth seed, but now only a half game up on the Hawks who are right behind them. Uh, the Pacers and Heat are just one game behind them. They're ninth and 10th. And even the Raptors, who the Knicks lost to, are only two and a half games behind. So uh, you can't afford to kind of lose four or five in a row. And, and, and you know, these are, are, are crucial games. So uh, I think the Knicks will, will play well. Um, I don't know if I would say I expect them to win, but I think they have a good shot to win this game. The Knicks typically do play well in Dallas. I think keys, again, will be Ken Brunson go. What will the Knicks do when the when the mass play zone? And then also, of course, uh, how Randall um, how they go, how Dallas guard Randall. And I think the Knicks also have an interesting question about um, how they guard Luca because we know Grimes will get the assignment initially. Luca is a menace, so he's going to draw fouls. So similar to Harden, he's kind of like the new Harden in the NBA, essentially, but he's somehow bigger. So Quinn Grimes gets the assignment. Okay, he gets two fouls. Let's say that happens the first quarter. What happens next? Who gets that assignment after? Because Similar to the Siakam ordeal, you would think that a player, the caliber of Luca, the size of Luca, that someone like Cam Reddish would make sense. And I don't want to be make this a Cam Reddish podcast every time Knicks play against a good wing. Say, hey, Cam Reddish should play. I know we talked about that with the Chicago game as well. But I do want to point that out that, okay, you know, Luca is a different monster than even Siakam or DeRozan. So if Luca gets uh, Grimes in foul trouble, who guards Luca besides RJ Barrett? Because uh, Queen, uh, Emmanuel quickly is much too small. Deuce McBride, much too small. Uh, it does become a bit of a problem. You can't put like Jericho Sims on them. So that will also, I think, will be a storyline to follow in this game. Knicks and Mavs, big one in Dallas uh, Tuesday night. Um, let's wrap the show talking about a former a local prep star who is drawing interest from his hometown team. So I mentioned earlier that a member of the Sixers apparently uh, is making the Knicks raise their eyebrows, and that is Tobias Harris. According to Ian Bagley, the Knicks have had discussions internally about Tobias Harris. The Long Island product has one more year uh, left on his deal after this season. Uh, he will make $39 million next season. Uh, this season, he's making $37 million, so he will certainly not come cheap when it comes to the price tag, not necessarily on a trade, but uh, on what he's actually making. Harris is averaging 16.7 points per game on 49% shooting. He's also shooting 40% from three. This was kind of weird when I heard this in terms of players. The players the Knicks keep getting attached to all seem very strange. Um, maybe OG wasn't maybe as crazy, but even that was a little weird considering, like, to me, OG is kind of redundant to Randall. So, because I think he's a combo four. So it was like, okay. Are you trading Randall or are you, if you trading RJ? OG's playing the three. It's like, okay, I guess maybe that worked a little bit. Um, Zach Levine stuff. The Knicks, I saw recently their, their odds out. Um, if Zach Levine is to be traded, the Knicks have the highest odds, according to Vegas, to land Zach Levine. So Vegas, for some reason, thinks that 
Zach Levine could very well go to Knicks if he gets traded. So that also to me doesn't make much sense given Levine's injury history, um, his history with Tibbs, in which Tibbs traded him, and uh, his exorbitant contract where he's making uh, 40 north of $40 million a year for the next five years. He's going to make close to 50 in his final year of his contract. So none of these players have made a whole lot of sense. And Tobias Harris also doesn't make that much sense. I, I think I understand from the standpoint of whatever you thought Cam Reddish could provide for this team, maybe the Knicks feel like Tobias Harris could provide that. Tobias, to me, is a little better than a bench player. Like, I, I don't think that he's someone who should become off the bench. So, and I don't think there's any way that, like, R.J. Barrett is getting traded for Tobias Harris. So, R.J. Barrett's going to remain in the starting lineup. So, that means that Tobias Harris essentially becomes your sixth man. Like, you can certainly do worse. And it would be intriguing to see him go up against second units. But then I ask, okay, well, what are you giving up to get Tobias Harris at this point? Um, because... We know Fournier is going to be part of that deal because you're going to have to move that money. And this might be one of the few teams that would be willing to take Fournier just to get off of Harris because Harris has so much money coming in next year. Uh, And then they could loot because Cam Reddish's numbers come off the books next year. You could actually save yourself about, you know, 10, 11 million dollars from Cam Reddish's contract coming up. So I, I see the interest there. But okay, you put Cam and you put Fournier in the deal. Who, how are you filling out the rest of that deal? Uh, Tobias making thirty-seven million. I, I, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head if that would that that money would just work in itself, but I feel like it might not. If it doesn't, who are you putting in? And you would think, considering Cam is essentially a rental and Fournier is an albatross, you would think that you got to put a sweetener in there somewhere. And that's where I get very nervous because what I would foresee is. The Knicks seeing the the Knicks seeing them play seeing themselves play so well during this winning streak, and most of it being without Obi Toppin, and them saying, "Well, we don't really want to pay Obi Toppin," and Tobias Harris has the skill set that we actually kind of want Obi Toppin to have. Like they've been trying to force Obi Toppin into being a three point shooter at stretch four, regardless of the fact that he's good in the post. In regards to the fact that he's the most athletic player on the team, one of the most athletic players in the NBA, regardless of all that other stuff, they're still convinced that, no, we need to make him a, a guy who stands in the corner and shoots threes. Um, Harris actually fits that mold. So what I would fear is Nick saying, we will give up on Toppin to uh, to to make this trade. We'll, we'll get rid of Fournier and, and Reddish in the deal. We'll bring in Harris. Now Harris becomes the backup for to Randall. That to me will make no sense. And it doesn't make sense for a lot of reasons. Number one, the whole problem with Obi Toppin is you can't play him enough because Randall is too good as a starting power forward that he's got to demand, you know, 30 to 35 minutes a night. So that leaves Toppin because you won't play him at the five. It leaves him to playing just, you know, 20 minutes at tops, you know, sometimes even 15 to 10 minutes. What are you going to do with Tobias Harris making $37 million? You're going to play him 15 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night? Like, how's that going to work? And maybe say, okay, well, we could play Harris behind RJ at the three as well. It's like, all right, well, RJ plays a lot of minutes. Like, I, I don't know where these 25 to 30 minutes Tobias Harris should demand are coming from with how the Knicks play their guys right now. So it's a peculiar thing. I know uh, Bailey said that Tom Thibodeau thinks highly of Tobias Harris. And that's not surprising given, you know, Tobias Harris' skill set. So 
So that's not surprising. And again, the Knicks could use some pop off the bench. So I wouldn't mind it from that standpoint. But to me, if the Knicks were going to, the Knicks were going to try to upgrade offensively off the bench, which I can certainly see as being something they need. I think it would have to be like they need a backup too. Like I'm not saying they should get this guy, but like they, it'd be great if they had someone like Malik Beasley come off the bench, like someone who could come in and 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 light it up. In in theory, you would want someone, and I love Deuce McBride, and I and he should still be playing right now. But if he's the guy that you would say, okay, if we could find someone that can defend like him, but also be a dynamite offensive player, like we can get to the next level. So if I was the Knicks and I was targeting like some kind of move like that, I'd be targeting some kind of three and D backcourt player. Um, those guys aren't necessarily cheap in terms of trade value. So good luck getting someone like that. But I don't know if it's a front court player. I don't know if like Tobias Harris makes sense um, from that standpoint, you know. And then the question becomes, okay, does Tobias Harris start? Like, do you start him at the three next to Randall, and then you put RJ back at the two? Not the worst idea in the world, but teams are playing so much smaller now. I don't know how often I want Tobias Harris guarding threes. He's a pretty decent defender, but again, the smaller teams go. Uh, I don't know if Tobias Harris, Randall, and 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 Mitchell Robinson's offensive front court is is like my dream, especially not RJ Garden twos. RJ, we've talked about his build and the way he's he's grown into his body. He doesn't really look like a guy that's be chasing around shooting guards uh, at this point in his career. He's really a, a three man solely, maybe even uh, a stress four if you want to go small. So I'm on downgrading Audrey to the two. So I don't know. I don't really love this fit. I like Tobias Harris as a player. Funny uh, aside for me personally, in terms of uh, Tobias Harris, I actually played with Tobias Harris growing up as a kid. So like me and Tobias Harris was on the same team, AU team when we were 10 years old, I believe. Uh, playing for Riverside Church at that time. Um, so that was one of the top AAU programs in, in, in the country at that time. So uh, I'm familiar with Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris also, uh, you know, played in, in New York City high school scene where I played as well. So um, so I, I got a good read on Tobias as a player. He was a very high character guy. He's always been a high character guy. So I think um, bringing him to the Knicks and bringing him to New York City, I think he would embrace it. I think that he would uh, play well here. but the question I would have is where's the fit? And, and I don't, I don't necessarily see it. And, you know, the only thing I think is, and this is not going to happen, but the only other thing I'll throw out there, this is what I think about it's something that I would maybe seriously consider. I don't know. I don't think Knicks would consider is, you know, is he Randall's replacement? Like, cause let's think about it from this standpoint. Could the Knicks decide, okay, Randall's playing great right now. And Philly looks like a legit title contender. Randall is better than Tobias Harris. So we can get, let's say we, let's say we go to Philly and say, look, we know Tobias Harris has kind of been a, um, it's kind of come like a villainized figure in Philadelphia. Like the fans don't really love him because of the contract and they feel like he's disappeared in big games for them, which is true to some degree. What if they went to them and say, look, we'll give you Randall and you'll have now four years on, on his contract. So the Knicks get out of that four year deal that they have left. We'll take back to Tobias Harris, a slightly worse player, and maybe you got to attach a first round pick in there. Pick in there. Maybe you don't have to. I don't know because at the end of the day, uh, you know, Tobias Harris is Randall's contract is necessarily a bargain, but he is making less than Tobias. So actually, kind of think about it, you probably would be able to get a first round pick from him because you probably have to attach 
Cam Reddish or some other players on the Knicks to make a deal work. So let's say you say, okay, we'll give you Randall, we'll give you Cam Reddish, um, and you'll give us Tobias in a first-round pick. Now, that's the kind of, like, NBA 2K, <laughs> of my GM, uh, uh, you know, roster management that I would be for, that I would I would say that's actually pretty shrewd business moving there because now Tobias Harris could start the four this year. If you don't think Obi's ready next year, he could start the four next season, his last season, and Obi could just go right into that starting lineup once his contract comes up and he becomes – uh, uh, eligible for that that big contract extension uh, if you don't give it to him this summer. So I, I can see that maybe making sense. Do I think that Tibbs would be interested because in, they worry that he loves Tobias Harris, that he loves Tobias so much he'd want to get rid of his boy Randall? That I can't see. That I can't see at all. So I, I would not expect that. I, I think that you'll see them um, – I, I think you'll see them try to maybe trade some of these bench pieces, try to add Tobias Harris to what they have. I don't know if the Sixers will bite um, because, you know, is worth saving $10 million worth being a worse team this year? Because if they lose to Bryce Harris, they, they're, they're no longer as talented as they were, regardless of how much of an albatross they think he is. I don't really see that. So um, interesting note from Ian Bailey. Uh, it's interesting to see the Knicks continue to kind of, uh, you know, look around the league and, and, and target certain guys that they're interested in. Tobias Harris being a local local product makes it uh, interesting even more interesting uh, considering some of the other guys they've been linked to. We'll see what happens on that front, but that's going to do it for this edition of the orange and blue bloods podcast. Of course, you can get these episodes wherever you get your podcast, including, including the Odyssey app, wherever you do get your podcast, make sure you subscribe to get these episodes. Every time we drop, make sure you hit the auto download feature to ensure that you're able to listen to us. Whenever we drop, we drop normally three times a week. We'll be back later this week with more episodes of Orange and Blue Bloods. Make sure you follow me uh, on social media. You can follow me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. That's going to do it for now. We'll be back later with some more Orange and Blue Bloods. For uh, for time who's not here, <laughs> I'm EJ. Uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully together next time. Peace.